that as a leader, there are times when you have to believe in your people until they're ready to believe in themselves. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 630. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here today, and I'm thrilled to introduce our guest, Rocco Romanella. Rocco is from 360 Management Services, and I know we're going to have a blast. You know we always have a blast on positive productivity. But before we even dive in, I want to make sure that you do go over to the show notes page and leave a comment down below, and you can find that at thekimsutton.com forward slash pp630, because as you may have noticed recently, I'm loving to get the guests on for a live after the episode goes live where we can address your comments and questions. Rocco, I forgot to mention that to you in the pre-chat. But if you have a, listeners, if you have any questions, please put them down there and one way or another, we will answer them. But Rocco, welcome to the show. I love having you here. Well, Kim, it's a pleasure to be here and I would love to answer those questions. So count me in for whatever you need me to do. And I think that would be a lot of fun to answer those questions as they come in uh, after the show. Fabulous. Well, Rocco, I would love if you would share a a bit of your backstory, how you got to where you are today with the listeners. Well, thanks for asking. And uh, so my uh, my story is is probably like most stories. I, I started out uh, unloading trailers at UPS part time, working my way through college. And so uh, it was a, you know, my dad rest his soul said that one of my kids is going to school. You're the oldest, but we got no money. So UPS afforded me the opportunity to pay my way through school. I was going through a school, uh, St. John's University in New York, which. Gave me the chance to commute to college and also work part time. And so uh, uh, it was a great opportunity. And they had a promotion from within policy, which I took advantage of. And it really came about because my dad, when I was talking to him about the job, told me two things that stuck with me that really helped me throughout my career. The first thing he said to me was, hey, whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you. And then learn your job and learn some more. And so as UPS presented opportunities, through this promotion within policy, I, I, all I could hear my dad saying was, yes, and thank you. So, okay, yes, and thank you. And so we took those opportunities and uh, moved across the country nine different times with, uh, with the family and uh, everywhere from where I started in New Jersey to, uh, you know, Chicago, Syracuse, New York City. And then we found ourselves in Des Moines, Iowa, great place to live, wonderful people. But picture a guy named Rocco Romanella in Des Moines, Iowa. So you can imagine the number one question I got was, hey, are you in a witness protection program? <laughs> you know, it's always fun. And we enjoyed living there. Great place yeah. to grow, grow, you know, our kids to grow up. And then Southern California, Atlanta, Philly, I ended my career in Atlanta again, which is a corporate office for UPS. So a, a, a traditional UPS career, except that I did the non-traditional things. We purchased mailboxes, et cetera. And then we were rebranded to the UPS store, which gave me a chance to work with just tremendous individuals, entrepreneurs who were building their business. And I learned so much from them, a great network. UPS store networks, 100% franchisee owned. So really enjoyed working with them. Uh, and that was a direct report to me. And then we purchased over 20 companies and built what's today UPS supply chain solution. So I learned that supply chain side the business. Retired from UPS, uh, 55 at 36 years started, uh, uh, went over, was recruited to run a telecom company where we built cell towers, upgraded cell towers, 
we had a sale there and then uh, started this company, 360 Management Services, where we have three legs of our stool, predominantly keynote speaking, leadership training, and we do process improvement. So I guess, Kim, you could say, what is the one thing that Rocky has failed at? I would say retirement. They uh, have not figured out this retirement thing. See, I am not judging at all because I started a mastermind group with some of my entrepreneur friends. And we actually named ourselves the unretireables. Oh, I like this. Oh, can I join? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we realize that we all love what we do too much or so much. Maybe it should be so much instead of too much. But we don't see ourselves ever being able to leave it. I mean, you try to take my laptop away for a whole weekend. There's going to be, it's going to be hard because I love what I do. Well, it's interesting. The first day of what I thought was retirement, I said to my wife, Deb, I said, hey, hon, so what are we doing today? So she looked at me and says, I don't know what you're doing, but you haven't been around for a long time. So I'm, you're not following me around the food store. So if I were you, I start to figure out some other things to do. So I quickly figured out, okay, I don't think this is going to work out so well. So uh, it's been fun, though. It's also, I think, a chance to give back, right? You know, you've learned so much through your career and the people you've interviewed. You mean some of the wonderful interviews that you've done. And, and by the way, you, you're so prepared as an interviewer. I really appreciate that as the person being interviewed. And and I know that in the interviews I have listened to, you you have that um, unique way of asking those questions that I think that, you know, I'm sitting there listening and thinking, well, that's something I wanted to know the answer to. So that, so I appreciate that preparation and, and your unique ability to ask those, you know, questions that, uh, I think the audience wants to hear. So I appreciate that as wow. a person being interviewed and also as a person listening to your podcast. Wow. Well, thank you so much. And for listeners who don't know if this is your first episode or maybe it's not your first and you just don't realize I am often sent questions that I can ask on the interview, but I don't honestly even look at them because what I realize is that the questions I want to know, there's always somebody like just what you just said, Rocco, there's always somebody else who wants to know it too. And sometimes I feel like it's uh, bordering on nosy, but I just call it curious. <laughs> ah, so instead of curious, George, we have curious Kim. Curious Kim. Absolutely. I want there to go, go back though, to what you were saying about UPS. I love the, the promoting from within. As you transitioned through your career, did you find that, did you take that with you? Yes, I always felt like that was such a, you know, such a great way to go, right? Because it gave people the opportunity to, you know, have a vision, have a career development process. And you gave them that opportunity to to think about themselves doing more things and learning more things. I think the most valuable lesson, though, I learned in that promotion from within policy, though, was this whole concept of, as the leader, there are going to be times when you have to believe in your people until they're ready to believe in themselves. And my example would be there were times along the way where maybe I wasn't really sure I was ready for that promotion or ready for that additional responsibility. It could have been knowledge, could have been skill, confidence, you know, something new. Like, for example, when they, you know, I tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, look, we just purchased mailboxes, et cetera. We'd like you to you know, we'd like you to, you know, run that part of the business on behalf of UPS. I had no franchising experience and no knowledge of it. And so to be frank with you, Kim, I was nervous. I, in fact, my answer to the CEO at the time was, you got to have somebody smarter than me to do this. Come on. I mean, really? You know, and he looked at me and he, and he said to me, no, we think you're the right person for the job. And what I learned is as a leader, there are times when you have to believe in your people until they're ready to believe in themselves. And then, mm -hmm. then you get to that kind of break even point where, 
they have the knowledge, they have the, the experience, and that's sort of that break even where you, you know your belief and their belief is equal. And then, then when they get really good, that's when you have to step back and let them fly, right? That's when you don't want to overmanage them. That's when you're just you're the cheerleader at that point. Keep up the good work, Kim. You're doing great. You got this, and you go. And so you, so I think it's that whole. What I learned is you believe in your people until they're ready to believe in themselves. You get to that point where you're kind of both you're both equal, and then you know what? You let them run, let them fly. And then you, you know, then you, then you're, then you're their biggest cheerleader. And I think that's the thing that promotion from within probably taught me the most is that belief in your people. Mm -hmm. I love that. Have you heard the story of my podcast production team? No, I have not. I would love to hear it. So I, big shout out to Lang and her team. But uh, Lang started with me in early 2018 as a virtual assistant and she realized very quickly that I was underwater trying to do all the podcast production myself. So from the editing, show notes, graphics, everything myself. And at that point, it was even a daily episode. So seven days a week. And at some point, she, I think it was about April. So we'd been working together for three months. She stepped up and she said, can I give it a shot? And I said, well, I think first in my head was, "What? what's it going to hurt? You know, if she doesn't do a good job, at least we've tried. If she does a great job, oh my goodness. So she did such a fantastic job that she now has a team. I mean, it was just her at that point. She now has a team. Her husband has quit his job and is now on her team. Plus she's got, I don't even want to know how many more. And they're doing not only podcast production for me, but for others. But it was just that stepping up on her side and also the trusting on my side to let it go. And See, that, it, it didn't just let it story. go. It, it it flew. Well, that's a great story. And that's that belief that you had in her until she was ready to believe in herself, right? And now, you know, think about it. Now now you're really her biggest cheerleader. And, and, and let's face it, Kim, word of mouth is still the best advertisement. So I'm sure there are times when someone will call you and ask, hey, you know, would you give her a recommendation? Of course, the answer is yes. And so from a distance, you're still supporting her. Uh, you're still helping her and you're still believing in her. And I think that's such a valuable lesson for leaders. And, and by the way, it's 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 a very valuable lesson. And I see it more in the small business owners that I work with, because if you think about it for a second, you know, in a small business world, what's their strength? No one's more invested than a small business owner. No, no one knows the business better than a small business owner. And, and, and no one, you could argue, cares more. But 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 it's their business, right? It's everything they own and it's, it's, it's their life, right? Uh -huh. What's their weak, what, what's their weakness? Nobody knows the business better than they do. <laughs> no one cares more than they do. It's their business. They own it. And so sometimes it's very difficult for them to take a step back and understand that it's important when that business starts to get bigger or they need that next significant step of where they're hiring someone, they go from an entrepreneur, a single, you know, single person to one or two or three people, that sometimes is the most difficult step is that now I have to do what you just did. I have to believe in that individual. I have to give them the authority that goes with that responsibility. And that's sometimes a very difficult thing for an entrepreneur to do. But if they can do it and they find a way to do that, now what they've just done is they've doubled themselves, right? Now they end up with two or three of of, of, of people who believe in the business, care about the business, and, and run it as if it's their own. And I, and I think that's when they really start to see that significant growth and frankly, growth and, and frankly, feel good about themselves as a business owner. But it's a very difficult thing for, for small business owners to do at times. Oh my gosh. I am one of the most stubborn people on the face of the planet. 
But well, I, oh, no, I well, really am. I, I don't think she expected this response from me. About a year ago, she came to me and she said, Kim, I think we should consider cutting back the podcast. And all it took me was two seconds. And I said, well, what do you, what are you thinking? She said, well, instead of seven days a week, I think we should do three. And I think I surprised the heck out of her. And I said, well, how about two? <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and she was, I love the fact, and I think, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, but when we create that safe environment for our team members where they know that they can come and propose whatever ideas that they have and they'll be listened to, that's where a lot of awesomeness happens, for lack of a better word. But I'll let me tell you, like cutting back from seven days a week to two, I was afraid initially that it was going to, that our downloads were going to go down, but instead they went up. Like our monthly downloads are are and our per episode downloads soared because we not only were we not burning ourselves out anymore, but there is that point where you can burn out your listeners and you, and your content consumers as well. Well, I think you bring up a very 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 significant point because if you think about it, you know, setting that tone from the top, you know, whether it's inside a large organization or inside, for example, your organization, you set that tone from the top that you want to, you want your people to bring you ideas and and you're willing to accept ideas that may not be ideas that they think that you're going to accept right away or another set another way you accept bad news. Now, in this case, it wasn't bad news, but if you think about organizations very large organizations that have spent years building their brands. And you wonder to yourself, how did they get themselves in this position? You had to know that in large companies, you know, Wells Fargo, a Volkswagen, think about all these companies that have had these issues that are, you know, in the paper all the time that you can read about. Somebody knew something was going on inside the organization. It was whether they were willing to bring it forward or not. Well, th that happens by you setting the tone from the top as the leader, that you want your people to bring you those things. And some of the best ideas are generated by the fact that people know that they can come and talk to you. In this case, they, she, you know, she probably was wondering. She was probably a little hesitant. But she knew you would at least, whether you agreed or disagree, would give her the opportunity to present her position. And, and that is such a, a significant event in a person's, you know, kind of career that I'm going to bring you something. I'm not really quite sure whether you're going to, you know, jump up and down and agree with me, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to take that chance. And once they saw that you were willing to listen, that opened up their, you know, opened up the doors and it, and it gave them the confidence now to bring other ideas. And, and look, the next person that they work, she works for, uh, you know, as a producer may not be as open as you, but she's going to be willing to at least go there mm -hmm. and, and present that idea. You know, I, I think sometimes Kim and just the, you know, I think sometimes that the biggest thing I'm trying to challenge people to do is not stop at the first right answer. I th I think that when you think about business people and you think about leaders or you think about even in your own personal life, you know, we sometimes just we sometimes stop at the first right answer. Now, the first right answer is a right answer. But if I can challenge you in a positive way to not stop at that first right answer, maybe go past that first right answer. Well, now you may find that the, the, the next answer is deeper and wider. It may you may uncover some unintended consequences that you hadn't thought of because I'm challenging you in a positive way 
not to stop at the first right answer. And and through your openness, not only did you give her the chance to maybe come to you with a new idea, you're also challenging her in a positive way. Don't stop at the first right answer. You know, if you bring me an answer, I'm going to challenge you in a good way. Okay, that's a good answer. Let's go a little deeper and wider. So that, that that's a great trait to be able to be that open and willing to hear maybe the things that you don't always want to hear, but it's going to protect you from a moral ethical perspective. And when things are bad going on, you're going to be able to be the person that accepts bad news. But I think you're also going to be the person that ends up getting some really good ideas and you challenge people in a real positive way to not stop their first right answer, which helps them grow and develop. I'm absolutely loving this. I'd never thought about not stopping at the first right answer. This is sort of the same, but it's different. I know that doesn't make any sense, but I've often seen that when things don't go as planned, they weren't supposed to go as I planned them to happen. And something better always comes along. Again, that's why I said it's sort of the same, but different because I've thought that I had the right answer, right? But Mm -hmm. then Oh, detour, like whole, this whole highway is closed. It's not going to happen that way. And then in the journey and the detour, and it might take a couple of years, listeners, you've heard about my book, Chronic Idea Disorder. I finally, Mm -hmm. in, in the not writing of it, even though I thought I knew what I was supposed to do, in the not writing of it, I finally figured out what I am supposed to do, which is ironic because I finally have conquered chronic idea disorder. So now is not the time to write the book. (laughs) (laughs) So when it does come along, at least I've got that idea now. Can we go back to the pillars of your business? Or I think you called them, what what did you call them? Oh, the legs of the stool? Yeah. This is so inappropriate. I didn't want to say three-legged stool, but I thought that's what you had said. But I know there's like (laughs) another way that that could be taken. Pardon me, listeners. I'm on my third cup of coffee this morning, and so... (laughs) my brain goes in all types of different directions, but you said keynote speaking and then processes, Uh, leadership training and then process improvement. So our consulting is really centers around process improvement. Okay. I would love to hear more about that. Well, for me, it's all about the, the process because if you're not careful, you're fixing something that, you know, you, let's say you come into an organization and you may fix it, but if there's not a process that's for sustainability, you're coming back and and refixing it again. And so it really comes down to, and, and in fact, in my book, I talk a lot about this concept of balanced leadership, right? And for me, balanced leadership is this process that when you're making decisions, you're thinking about three key constituents. And so when we, and those three key constituents are customers, people, shareholders, and stakeholders. And, and that's a process w- that we take. So you know, we may come in and work with a small business owner and look at their business. And and so for me, I always make sure that all three constituents are represented. You know, it, is the process that we're going to improve, you know, let's let's take let's look at it from a customer perspective. You know, is it good for the customer? You know, are we achieving or we, you know, are we providing a solution that really solves the problem that they have or that they, or a need that they have, you know, Always, you you know, you always look at the profitability side as a small business owner, but then sometimes we miss the people side of it, right? So I'll give a quick example. You know, we just develop, we develop a new product. So we've done a good job of understanding the product, the product placement, you know, why it's needed in the marketplace, all those key things, great marketing strategy, great marketing theme. 
of course, you know, you've sat there as a CFO or as the, you know, owner of the business and you've gone through the pricing of the product. And then you've also understood the cost of serving. You're like, well, it's a good product. This will make money. So my next question would be, well, how about our people? Do they understand why it's an important product? Do they understand what role they play in growing and developing that product? Do they understand if there's a service disconnect? So I want to make sure that in this process improvement that we're doing, that all three key constituents are represented, that we're thinking like a customer our people are feeling like valued individuals, but we are acting like an owner in all of our decisions. I could eat this all up in so many different levels. So another one of those same but different. When in 2014, I became an Infusionsoft certified partner. I'm no longer a partner. But one of the books that I was introduced to while there was Work the System by Sam Carpenter. And he was talking about standard operating procedures in a business. And then just last year, I don't know what took me so long, but I finally read The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. And the two combined were just like fireworks in my brain. And while these are procedures, not necessarily processes, I think the two of them go very much together. Another team member manages my LinkedIn. I do a lot of my social media management myself because I love connecting with people, but she She's awesome at handling my LinkedIn and she noticed because we send a happy birthday message to each. She, she sends a happy birthday message to each person on the birthday and she started to realize, well, we're circling back around and we're hitting the same person again. Kim, do you want to use the same message as you did last year? She's like, how about this one? But she was thinking about how it would look to the connection if we're just copy pasting in the same message again to anybody who's connected to me on LinkedIn. Happy birthday messages are awesome. It makes people think that they're cared for. But if you paste the same message in year after year, it's sort of like, oh, I see what you're doing here. We don't want people to feel like that. We can have systems without being repetitive and while still caring. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I, and I think the other thing, so, so the repetition and the consistency is important, important in the process when it comes to a consistent, you know, outcome. So for example, when a customer visits my store, I want to make sure that they have the same, every customer gets that same high level of, ex of experience. So for example, think about the UPS stores, over 5,000 UPS stores in, in the U.S. alone. You want to, cons you know, whether you're visiting a store in San Diego or you're visiting a store, you know, Bangor, Maine or, you know, San Diego, California, you want that same consistency. Uh -huh. So that's a process for consistency. But when, you know, when you have different, you know, customers visiting your store in Bangor, Maine, and, and, you, and you're a consistent customer, you know, I want to get to know you. Hey, Kim, great to see you again. How's the family doing? Hey, that package last week, uh, you know, I know it was a birthday gift. How did it go? You know, it was a person's surprise. So that's the individuality. That's to your point, right? That's, that's that, you know, that's making each person in your care. I never say a person works for me. It's a person in your care if you're the supervisor, manager, right. leader. So, so the people in your care, do they feel like they're they're part of the solution or they're f part of the problem? Do they feel like Kim really cares about me as an individual? And that's an individual touch. So that's when you don't want to be, to your point, you know, that's so consistent that okay, everybody got a birthday card or everybody got, you know. Now, now sometimes it's gonna it's gonna change depending on size and of course when you're managing. I mean, I'll tell you a quick story when I. When I became a district manager at UPS, and so 
uh, district manager at UPS is that very significant level you get to, and you're really managing the business as if it's 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 got your own P and L, and it's your little it's your little store. You've got a you a little business, right? So when I became the Iowa district manager, and UPS had this tradition of of writing out, you know, birthday cards. Well, most most district managers, they were stamped, you know, happy birthday, you got the birthday card. Well, I said, you know what, when I become a district manager, I'm going to make sure I hand sign every birthday card. Well, I had wow. 3,000 3, employees in Iowa. So I started out this process, and here I am writing birthday cards. And I had a great admin, Lori, would would hand me the cards like two months in the head, and I'd write a note in every single one of them. And of course, my wife, Debbie, was funny. She'd be like, you know, you, you forgot half of your kids' birthdays, but you're writing birthday cards. Uh-huh. <laughs> I said, I know, hon, I know. But So long story short, when I, when, I got, when I got promoted to the next district, which was much larger, Southern California, I'm at 10,000 employees. I knew at that moment I couldn't write out the birthday cards individually. Cause then my, so there's a point where you can and can't do individual things, but, but you find a way then to, so my change was that whenever I went and visited a new facility, I, I, HR did a great job of putting together for me the list of the people who were in the facility and pictures of the management team. And so when I would go out there, I'd, I'd studied a book before I went, or it was a long driver. I was on an airplane, wherever I was going, I'd say, Oh, okay, Kim, you know, it's got a set of twins. Okay. You know, they're four years old. Okay. So when I would see you, Hey Kim, how are you? And I, you never met me as the leader, but I'd say, Hey Kim, how are the twins doing? And yeah, I mean, I was just doing my homework. So I that couldn't do the birthday. Me away. I couldn't do the birthday cards anymore. So as you, so size ha- makes a difference. And as your business is getting bigger, you may not be able to talk to every customer the way you did when it was a smaller business, but you can find ways to make that person feel somewhat unique, even though it may not be as deep and wide as it was once when I was signing birthday cards or whatever. You, I think it, it's what people are impressed with is your intent to make them feel important or make them feel like an individual that you care about. That's all. Oh, I absolutely love that. I'm thinking about my own kids right now. I mean, because my kids would go from four-year-old twins up to a 16-year-old. My 16-year-old is six inches taller than me. <laughs> so it's not like I can say, hey, come sit on my lap and, you know, let's talk about your day. <laughs> it's like, just hope that he doesn't pick me up and flip me upside down because he's now <laughs> currently able to. But there's other ways that, you know, we can be spending time together. Yesterday, I was trying to help him with calculus. That is one way that I should not be supporting him in the future. Just putting it out there. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. I got <laughs> I tell a story all the time that when, uh, you know, Mike's, you know, you have these significant uh, moments in your career and in your life where I call them aha moments, right? And, you know, and years and years ago, my aha moment was, you know, I'm, I'm, we we're actually, I think, living in Iowa at the time. And, and Andrew was struggling a little bit. My younger guy was struggling with math. And, and so, you know, he was struggling with the whole greater than or less than, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, I'm going through greater than. I, and he was playing hockey at the time. I got three hockey pucks here, four hockey pucks there. And I said, Andrew, what does this mean? And he says, oh, we got seven hockey pucks. I'm like, no, nah, 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 this isn't working. So then I take a piece of paper and I, and I draw the greater than and less than sign. I said, Andrew, what does this mean? And he said to me, fast forward and reverse. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, this generation of kids are, is so tech savvy that if I'm going to manage this group of people, I better get tech savvy. And so that was my significant event that, A, I shouldn't be working with this kid in math because I'm not, like you just said, I'm not very good at it. And, and B, it, it just gave me that significant like emotional event of, holy cow, as I'm growing and developing inside the UPS, 
te- technology is going to be a it's going to be a no brainer to them, a big thing to me. And so I realized that from that moment forward, that if I was going to manage a group of people that were going to be tech savvy, that understood technology, like Andrew just did with uh, thinking fast forward and reverse versus greater than or less than, that I was That's going to have to. That's brilliant, by the way. I, I was going to have to. Thank you. I was well. Well, he was. It was you, you had no choice, right? Because I mean, I'm from Jersey, right? So everybody in Jersey's got a guy, right? So uh-huh. I was like, get me the guy that understands technology, and I realized I had to be the guy that understood technology. Well, you have me looking at my keyboard right now, looking at the those two signs, and I honestly don't know which one is which. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll have to ask my teenagers when they get home from school today, because it's just been so long. Hey there, my friend. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. I wanted to take a quick moment to invite you to join the Work Smarter, Not Harder Challenge. Over the course of 30 days, these free Yes, free. Short videos will teach you a few of the systems and strategies I set up in my business so I can get away from my computer and back to the people I love. I invite you to sign up now at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. Again, you can sign up at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. I want to back up just a little bit to two things. Number one, I'm outside of Dayton, Ohio. And in 2008, when the, when the recession hit, Dayton, Ohio was hit really hard. We had all the, you know, the parts manufacturers for the for the car companies that went under. We had DHL. Who I don't I don't even know if they're still around. I mean, we get UPS here, but there was so much of that. Do you, in your experience with UPS, and even since then, do you think some of that could have been prevented? Well, I I think that, you know, unfortunately, I think sometimes that whole concept of too big to fail, you know, hurt some people. I think you I go back to what where I think it could things could be prevented is whenever people get themselves. So my dad used to say to me, today, you think, you know, everything is the day that everything is passing you by. Right. And I and that always stuck with me that, you know, it's that humbleness of you know, when he said to me, hey, learn your job and learn some more. And I think that there, some people got themselves in trouble because our companies got themselves in trouble because they thought they were too big to fail or they knew everything or, you know, you think about, I'll give you two quick examples, like on, on the hundred and I think it was five or seven year anniversary, don't quote me exactly, but, uh, you know, they asked the CEO of Sears and Roebuck at that time, why are you getting rid of, you know, a catalog? And, he said, well, no one no one buys anything on a catalog anymore. And if you think about it, number one, can you get any more catalogs in your in your mailbox, right, Kim? I mean, can you get another pottery bond, pottery bond? How many catalogs can you get in your mail right now? And number two is who really is the Sears and Roebuck, the way we grew up with Sears and Roebuck? It's really Amazon, right? Because in Sears, you could buy anything you want on a catalog. And so you could argue that it wasn't that people weren't buying on a catalog. It's just that – you lost. Maybe you lost your way, or you thought, "Well, we're the largest retailer today." You know, in those days, you know, we, we've got nothing to worry about. And you looked up one day, and, and you know, now it's all on the internet. You missed that, you know. And so now, so now, you know, Amazon's doing that. Think about this. I mean, to five and dime, you know, Woolworths. At one, you know, on the 105 year anniversary, they were closing Woolworths, and yep. they asked the CEO, "Why, you know, why are you closing? Well, oh, nobody wants a five and dime anymore." Well, think about it. Can you get another Dollar Tree under five Dollar General Store? Every corner has one. Right. 
So it's not that you, so, so to answer your question, I think what could have been prevented is that little bit of vision. It's that humbleness mm-hmm. to say, you know, where's the puck going? You know, what am I going to look like in the next three to five years? And I think when you think about small business owners and, you know, uh, you know, I love working with small business owners. I think they're the backbone of our economy. They're wonderful people. Nobody's more all in than a small business owner. I have such great respect and admiration for what they do and how they do it. And they'll say to me, well, you know, what do you think is some of the things that we really have to work on or prevent? And I would say the first thing is, is I think don't let your strength be your weakness. Your strength is that you know the day-to-day business. Your strength is that no one cares about your business more than you do. You understand your business. Don't let that be your weakness, right? Because you have to take that step back as a small business owner and say, well, what's this business going to look like in the next six months, year, 18 months from now? You can't wake up 18 months from now and decide, wow, we might have missed a significant inflection point and we should have changed our business a little bit. You can't put the seatbelt on after the airbag goes off. Wow. So, yeah, so so I think as a small business owner, you have to take that strength of yours of being day-to-day, understanding the business, take a step back. And every now and then you've got to go stick yourself in a room with some key people and say, where do we think we're going? What do we want to look like a year from now, two years from now? And I think that's so important. And I think that's that humbleness of understanding that we may be in a good zone right now. Our business may be doing the best we ever thought it could be, but but what's it going to look like a year from now, 18 months, two years from now? Dang Rocco. You just, you just hit me where it hurts, but in a good way, because I'm already recovering from it. But um, (laughs) chronic idea disorder is my strength, but it was for the longest time, my weakness, because I was trying to do too much of my business all at the same time. I was never finishing anything for myself my client's work was all getting done, but my own work, n- not, just not at all. But it's my strength when I can get on a client call and we can brainstorm for 90 minutes and have a whole plan when we get off just because there were so many ideas that were put out there. But when we put out all those ideas and we just don't do anything with them, that's a problem. I recently recorded an episode with Sam Louis, and I know I just said his last name wrong. Again, listeners, you can go back and listen to episode 621, but we were sharing, actually he shared, I never shared, what he made in the first year of his business. And I, I think another weakness of entrepreneurs is that they give up too early. I mean, in the first year of my business, I made $5,000, or according to the IRS, that's what my profit was. But I saw the potential and I kept on going. And I know there's that point where we have to be aware of what's, you know, what we need to sustain ourselves and keep on going. And $5,000, believe me, it wasn't enough. But if I hadn't kept on going, then I wouldn't be here. Well, I think that's a, that's a great point and a, and a great lesson, right? And I think it, you know, what, make sure that your goals are achievable, right? There, there's, there's a strategic vision. But then there, you know, which which may be that, you know, in, in year three, you want to hit X, year five, you want to hit Y. And those those are strategic visions. And that's your strategic game plan. Like you said, you get on a call for 90 minutes, you're laying out the strategies and the vision. But I think there has to be a realistic expectation of also what are your goals in the first three months, six months, nine months. And I think that's that's so important. It's interesting. I, I talk about in my book, this concept, one of the chapters is on this 100-day plan and early on, as I was being moved moved in different oppor- opportunities at UPS, I realized that, you know, 
one of the things that I needed to do was lay out what am I going to do in my first hundred days and am I balanced in my first hundred days? Because what was happening is, is my strength, but it was becoming my weakness. I was so excited about the promotion and, you know, I, I really wanted to get involved, but I found what I was doing is a, I was bouncing around all over the place and B I wasn't giving really good direction to my people, right? Cause they're feeding off of me as the leader and I'm all over the place, right? You know, and so you start to think to yourself, I really need to have good direction and I need to have a good focus. And so I lay out this 100-day plan. And so, for example, when I became CEO of the – outside, when I left UPS and became CEO of this telecom company, I laid out my first 100 days. And I made sure it was balanced, people, customers, shareholders, stakeholders. And so I made sure that in my first 100 days I wanted to visit our top customers, top three customers in each of our business units. But I also wanted to visit – or have a conversation with the customer who we just churned, the customer we just lost. And they, they all kind of looked at me and I said, well, I think it's probably more important that we talk to the customer that we lost. I mean, it's mm-hmm. great to talk to the top three customers that are you know, still with you and, and you're having a good relationship with, but, but why did we lose that customer? Do we know we lost that customer? And then we, you know, we talked about you know, making sure that we, I visit the largest operations and the smallest operations so that our people know that they're represented and of course, we you know the profitability and 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 talking to the board and those kinds of things. And so, then each Friday I would sit there, Kim, and go through and say, am, "Am I on plan? Am I off plan? Am I out of balance?" And for me, the out of balance was, "Hey, I I realized that hey, I visited the top customers. I was way ahead on my customer visits in my first hundred days. Of course, the board and my conversations on the profitability and business plans." But I wasn't doing as well with the people. And so I made sure that, hey, this week I've got to get out to these largest and I have to make sure that I make time to visit our people, you know, do the right communication. So I think that that balance and and that vision and that ability then to kind of like, you know, give yourself a plan, I think is so important because if you're not careful, you'll take yourself out of balance. And I think that's what happens with small businesses. You know, what was your expectation in the first hundred days, what was your expectations in the first six months? Were they realistic? You know, yeah, it would have been great to your point to maybe make $50,000 instead of $5,000, but based on your business and based on what you were trying to accomplish, you know what, where you are from where you started, that may have been a really good success story. It's just that maybe it's, it's not success in relationship to someone else or other people. I think you have to have that view vision of what you're trying to accomplish and what's realistic from a from an actual, you know, experience. And then you have the strategic vision that's, you know, has a little bit more of a visionary kind of thing, but may not be as realistic initially for you. Where do you see a necessary line having to be drawn between thinking too small and thinking too big? Do you think there there does have to be a line drawn? I think you're right. I think what comes, I think that the, when you think small, many times it's because you're afraid of making a mistake. I don't think anybody, I, I shouldn't say that that's not really fair. I don't, can't say I know everybody or, or, so I would say that in general, when you're thinking small, it's because you're afraid to make a mistake. Uh, I think that, so I think that when you, you know, you have to go in with the understanding you're going to make mistakes, right? So you make them small, make them fast and move on and you're going to learn something from them. And I think that, but if you're always trying to be perfect and always trying to not make mistakes, you're never going to make any decisions. And that's when, to your point, you you don't realize it. You're not really articulating it, but what you're really saying is I'm probably not going to get much bigger because I'm never going to make that next move. I'm never going to make that next decision. So I think that you have to understand you're going to make mistakes, make them small, make them fast. 
and move on. And, and I think that that's what's, what's so important. And I think that's when you start to think small when you're afraid to make mistakes. Mm. So when I started my business, I started as a virtual assistant, even though I had 10 plus years in corporate, I was an interior architect before starting this business. And I started as a virtual assistant, but I was looking online and seeing competitors overseas and thinking that I had to get as close to their prices as possible. So, and I was also looking at the the options of taking on another job because when I started the business, it was to supplement our income. When my husband returned to college, I could either go down the street and get a third shift job in the gas station because I already had a full-time job in the, um, during the day, or I could charge $8 an hour being a virtual assistant. And I didn't, I didn't think any bigger. And I learned after the fact that had I thought bigger, I would have actually gotten more work because people were looking at me thinking small and, and think, and they thought that I didn't know much. That's interesting though. I, 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 it's funny because I, I think that what happens is, is that, you know, one of the advantages, I mean, there's look social media and, and the internet, there's a lot of advantages or disadvantages as well. But, but I think one of the advantages of the internet and, you know, to, to kind of think about a little bit your 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 point that you just made is that so the internet allows the very large company to seem small, but it also allows the small company to feel big, right? Because no one oh, knows yeah. that it, no one knows it's just you that's you know the virtual assistant, right? They see your website; it's well designed. You know, the, my boys used to play uh, played a lot of ice hockey, and you know there was this one ice hockey. Uh, you know, place we used to order all their equipment from, right? And it, it was just a world-class website and it, they just displayed everything. And they, they had, they were ahead of their time with the ability to kind of almost show you how to put your skates on or, you know, how to whatever. So it was really a pretty cool website. Well, it was in Jersey as a matter of fact. And so what happened is long story short, we're home to visit the family and we said, oh, let's go over to, you know, visit that hockey place. Well, it turned out to be in some guy's garage. Wow. And, but, but that's not how the internet, I mean, and now if, if it would have been his garage on the internet, I may not have bought some stuff, but I got to tell you, it was a world-class website. And so it, it, that's when it kind of hits you that, wow, the internet does allow the small company to feel big and, and robust and, and the big company, you know, I mean, think about the Amazon website. I mean, it's, it it, you can navigate it and you do feel like you're, you're in a relationship as you're ordering those, those kinds of things. And so, so it depends on how you design your website, but to your point though, then, then you shouldn't, you know, then you don't have to apologize for being a single person, you know, doing what you're doing. Right. Because, you know, no one knows that, you know, they don't know that you're sitting there, you know, in your kitchen doing, you know, doing the architectural designs, you know, because that that's what, that's the beauty of the internet. Oh, I absolutely love that. And especially because my first business that I had from 2005 to 2010, I did spend the money on my website and it was e-commerce shop and nobody would have known that my inventory was right there in my house. Nobody <laughs> right? ever yeah. knew. I mean, I had tens of thousands of, you know, stores, positive readings on eBay and my site looked awesome and, but they would have never known it was me, myself, and I and a couple other people who came on late in the journey to help me out. But yeah, um, I want to go back to your journey though. So you, you retired. How did the journey of starting your business now, how did that happen? Well, 
for me, this whole concept of leadership is about legacy. Do you leave things a little better than you found them? Are people better because of their time with you? Are your customers better because of their interaction with you? And so for me, legacy is such an important part of, of leadership and who you are as a person. Uh, and so as, as I was retiring from UPS and then, you know, was contacted for this CEO role and, and did that role, uh, I was thinking to myself, well, I was so fortunate to meet such wonderful people along my journey. I learned so much from people. Hopefully people learned from me. And so I thought about that, you know, maybe in this new venture, you know, as part of con- consulting and keynote speaking, where people were calling me, hey, would you, you know, are you still interested in doing keynote speaking? Love to have you come in and address our conference or, you know, you know, some of the leadership training that you've done in the past. Are you still open to doing those things? And I thought to myself, that's really about legacy, right? So if I could spend in this part of my life the uh, uh, the ability to make things a little better than I, than I found them or, you know, people are better because of, of a conference or, or a, a training session or some of the process improvements when you're working with these wonderful small business owners, that to me would be a wonderful place to be versus verge. Uh, versus, hey, I got a full-time job and I'm making, you know, I'm supplementing my pension or whatever. So for me, I thought about, well, what am I going to do next? And if I can do something next that supports this concept of legacy, that's really what I want to do. And this company, 360 Management Services, you know, built it with with some former UPSers that I worked with that we know each other for over 35 years, very good at training, very good at process improvement things. And I thought to myself, why not work with people that you like and respect and you and you have the same values and ethics? And if we can go in and help someone or someone's a little bit better because of their time with us, well, then that's really the home run for us. What is the legacy you personally want to leave? Well, for me, the le- it's, it's about this concept, are people better because of their mm-hmm. time with you, right? So, you know, do Look, people don't, you know, my greatest compliment when I retired from UPS was our CEO saying to me, no, Rocky, I, I don't know anyone who wouldn't, who, would, who wouldn't work for you again. Now, that doesn't mean they always, you know, they always agree wow. with you. That, that, that doesn't mean that, you know, you, you, know, you, didn't, you didn't make those tough decisions, hold people accountable. So for me, legacy is about this concept of, you know, did you leave things a little better? Now, does that mean I was perfect? Absolutely not. I made my share of mistakes, you know, hopefully – uh, learns. I'm sure there are people wishing I would have learned a little quicker, <laughs> a little sooner with some of those mistakes. But I think that, you know, I, I you know, I have, a, I have the opportunity now, Kim, to address um, a lot of seniors in high school and, and college students. I enjoy that. It's sort of a, a fun thing for me to do. And I, I spend my time some at Seton Hall University at different times, you know, teaching a class there. And, and so one of the things I always tell students is think of the word that you want someone to use to describe you at the end of your career. So think of your 16 year old son you were talking about and he's saying, Hey mom, you know, I'm thinking about maybe doing this or doing that. Or, and you say, you know what? Think of the words you want someone to use to describe you at the end of your career. And if you think about it, you know, sometimes I'll sit in a class and they'll say to me, Oh, it's aggressive, energetic, profitable, rich, you know, they'll come up with all these different terms. So for me, the word was thoughtful. I wanted to be, I wanted to be considered a thoughtful leader. And, and, and so if you think about that word, if your son thinks about that word that he wants someone to use to describe him at the end of his career, then throughout his career, he's building that mosaic towards that word. So when someday he retires, you know, do people think Iraqi is a thoughtful leader? I'm sure there are people who didn't. 
But for me, that was the word, thoughtful. So I think that that's what's important is how do you want people to think about you at the end? And then, and then you don't, don't rush your life, enjoy your life. But as you're building your career, you're thinking you're, you're unintentionally many times kind of filling in that story, right? And building that story to support that word. And I think that's what's so important. So I think legacy, that's your legacy. Did you, were you true to yourself? Did you, did you build that narrative? Did you support that storyline for that word that you want someone to use to describe you at the end of your career? And I think that, that to me is what's important now, you know, and you have your missteps along the way and you, you have your mistakes and you have your disappointments. And, and, and by the way, those are all important parts of your growth, right? Because things don't always go the way you want them to go. You know, I'm a big giant fan and I'm watching the transition from Eli Manning now in football to Daniel Jones. And I love Eli, but the way he's handling it, I tell my kids all the time, look at how he's handling it so professionally. There's a guy who for 15 years was a starting quarterback, was the person. And now he's now he's the backup, but he handled it with grace. He handled mm-hmm. it with dignity. There's a lesson there because in life, you're not always going to get it the way you want it. You're not going to be. It's not always going to go the way you want it to go. And I believe that that defines your, you know, adversity doesn't, you know, develop your character. It exposes your character. And I think that's what's so important. That's who you are. And and, and how do you want people to remember you? Rocky, we're time stamping this episode, but I have to say I grew up outside of Rochester, New York. So it's amazing watching that the Bills are actually winning. Uh, 3-0. How great is that? Uh-huh. Right? Come on. 3-0. Yep. And I haven't watched football in a decade, but I caught wind of it while I was traveling this past weekend. Rocky, I just want to take a quick moment because listeners, I want to invite you to go over to the show notes page right now. So you can pause this, go over to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP630. And I want to know what your word is. Rocky, you would probably love to know too. I want to know what your word is actually and why. What is that one word that you want to be known for when your time here is done? And Right now, my word is integrity. That could change, but right now, that is my word. That's a great word. I mean, that says who you are and what you stand for. Where can listeners find you online, Rocky, get to know more about you and connect? Well, thank you, Kim, for asking. So uh, my email address is Rocky, R-O-C-K-Y, Romanella, R-O-M-A-N-E-L-L-A at gmail.com. We have a very interactive website. Uh, just updated it, as a matter of fact. It's www. It's the number three and the word 60, S-I-X-T-Y, managementservices.com. I answer all the emails myself, and uh, I, do, I do get a lot of correspondence back and forth on the, uh, on the, on the website, so please uh, feel free to utilize that. I have, I have uh, quite a bit of uh, YouTube videos up. I have a very robust video library. Uh, also have all my podcasts, so uh, our podcast will be on my podcast library. I've had over 100 interviews this year. I count this one as one of my favorites. Hopefully it, I hope you will count it as one of your best because I've enjoyed our conversations together. And uh, and also one uh, you can buy the book, my book, uh, uh, Tighten the Lug Nuts. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I'm, I'm self-published. Uh, I also get quite a few people asking me would I sign the copy of the book, and the answer is yes. Just email me, and then uh, I'll sign a copy of the book and then ship it to you, and you can just end up paying me instead of uh, Amazon, but that's fine. I know people – I do – I find people do enjoy signed copies of books, and if I can help you out, especially Christmas coming up in the holidays, certainly would uh, would love to help you any way I can. So 
that, that's the best way to get me. We're on social media. Uh, I'm not as good. I, I was listening to you talk about your social media. I, I may be uh, reaching out for you to help me out a little bit on my social media. I'm not very good at it, but we're on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram. Uh, we're on uh, Facebook and also uh, we're on Twitter. So, but not as good. So, uh, I may be uh, asking you for some help here, Kim. Okay. Well, we can do that. But I, I want to ask before we, like, we will definitely talk about that sometime. Have you found on your own podcast that there are just those words or messages that come out of every episode that you needed for each episode? From the, oh, the ones that I've been on as a, as a guest? Yes. Or even your own podcast? Well, I don't have my own podcast. Oh, okay. I thought you, when you said 100. No, I don't. But do you no, find that you get I, something out of every episode that you weren't necessarily expecting to get? Oh, absolutely. I feel like, I feel like that happens in almost every, if you're open to the best learning experiences are, are conversations and interactions you have with other people. I mean, everybody, I mean, I look, books are great. I read them all the time. Hopefully people will read my book and have a few aha moments and, I guarantee you'll laugh. That's one thing I, I'm very proud of the book, that there's a lot of great stories in there that at least get people to smile and laugh about through the lesson side. But I think the best lessons are always from the interactions you have with people, conversations that you and I have had today and in the previous podcast. So I think if you're open to learning, mm-hmm. you're going to learn from from everyone that you interact with. Now, this is a non-shameless plug, but I have to tell you that you – you just hit on something that's been hitting me in the face for like three days. And I, at first when it, and I'll explain in just a second. At first I was like, yeah. And then it kept on coming back around and I was like, okay, maybe I should pay attention. And then you just said a word about three minutes ago. And I was like, okay, this is definitely the direction I'm supposed to be heading in. So my friend Richie and I, Richie Ote and I are launching. It may actually be launched by the time this episode goes live. Purpose for, let me try that again. Purposeful Parentpreneurs. It's podcast, brand, live events. Live events oh, wow. will come in 2020. But we've been working on our branding. And I was, I was traveling around in San Diego last week, including with Richie, mosaics kept on showing themselves all over. Richie was showing me his daughter's school, which had mosaics on the side. Then we saw just, I guess it's a thing in Southern California. It's not so much around here where people will put stuff outside that other people can pick up, reclaim, redo and use for their own spectacular purposes, which I think is awesome. Here in Ohio, you see old couches on the street and you may or may not want to pick those up. But there was a mosaic mirror. And then I get to the airport and I see this beautiful mosaic on the wall. And mosaic has just been the theme. And then you said mosaic. And I already had it in my head that that would be amazing. Like Because in every entrepreneurial community, we are basically a mosaic. You know, each person contributes their own little bit of beauty to the big collective. So I know that's just one word, and I don't even know how many words we just said. But when you said it, it was like, it was like the gong. That's all I got to say. It was like, yeah, are you clicked, paying right? attention, Kim? He just said mosaic. <laughs> that's right. Get back to figuring out this. Yeah, that's right. No, yeah. I agree with you. And, and I think you also hit on something I think is so important. You know, we're all members of a family, team, uh, a universe, you know, a, t- a town, whatever. And I think the, the, the trick is to allow people to be individuals inside of the collective group. And for me, that was the thing I learned with the UPS store, right? It was a, it was a franchise network that needed consistency 
But I love the entrepreneurial spirit. I love the individuals. I love the fact that people could be individual entrepreneurs within the confines of a collected group or, or within a system or a network. And I think that's what's so important. And I think if you think about it, that's what makes a great team, individuals working together. So their individuality is there. They feel good about themselves as a person, but we're all collectively rowing in the same direction. And that's what makes a great team. And, and I think that's when you have those you know fun, cool experiences. Absolutely. I, I consider my entrepreneurial friends to be the family I was adopted into as an adult, if that makes any sense. Yeah. There's the family that we are great. born into and the family that we we build ourselves into. But Rocky, this has been amazing. I want to thank you for just all your incredible golden nuggets that you've already given us listeners. I want to hear what your word is and why is along with any comments and questions that we can address in, in our live. But Rocky, thank you. Well, Kim, it's been a pleasure. I hope your audience finds a value in our conversation. I absolutely enjoyed it. Uh, thank you so much for being such a, uh, an excellent, uh, person to have a conversation with and well-prepared. So mm -hmm. for me, it was, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, I hope your audience gets value uh, in, in our discussion today. Thank you. Listeners, again, one more time, DougKimSutton.com forward slash PP630, and don't forget to share the episode. Rocky, I'd love to close the show with a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can share with the listeners. So, so what's your legacy? So when you think about you know who you are, what you stand for and what are the things that you won't compromise that starts to define your legacy. And then of course there's that word that kind of, you know, you know, puts that mosaic as we talked about before, puts it all together. It's sort of the glue that holds it all together is that word that defines you. And so if I'm a thoughtful leader and if that's the word that's going to define me as I'm building this mosaic, it's being held together by me doing th me being thoughtful in my actions, whether it's the decisions I make, the way I treat people, you know, how, how I, you know, handle, uh, disappointments, how I handle disconnects or whatever it is. If I do it in a thoughtful way, I'm tying it all together. And those pieces are the things that build me, right? You know, happy, you know, great success here, disappointment here. Well, those all get tied together in a mosaic, right? And I think that's, what's so important. And so think about that. You use the word integrity. You know, I think that's so important. Nick. Who am I? What do I stand for? And what are the things I won't compromise as I'm building my mosaic? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. Bye.